0: All right. Well, we're there in Second uh, Samuel chapter six, and we've been going through on Sunday nights this series called "Drop Dead," and we've been going through and looking at different stories in the Bible where God slew somebody, where God killed somebody, and we've been trying to learn from those stories. And just kind of a unique Sunday night series, I think. But we started uh, the first week with Odin, of course, in the Book of Genesis, and last week we talked about Nadab and Abihu and the strange fire that they offered before the Lord, and tonight. We're dealing with this story of a man named Uzzah, Uzzah, however you like to pronounce it. I I like to pronounce it Uzzah. And I want you to notice that this man is struck dead by God. And let's just read the verses again just to get a little bit of the context. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says again, David gathered together. All the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Of course, this is King David. He's gathering, uh, the people together. Verse two. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from the Baal of Judah and, uh, to bring up from thence the Ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of Hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. So I don't have time to develop this whole thing. Uh, but if you, if you've read the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel or the, the kings, you know that the Ark of God was lost. Uh, during the time of Eli and his sons and their wickedness. And if you remember, that that time was just referred to as Ichabod. And the glory of the Lord had departed. The the Ark had actually been lost to the Philistines. And the Philistines, there's all this episode about things that happen when they bring the Ark before their god, Dagon. And Dagon ends up falling before the Ark and all those things. Eventually, the Philistines send the Ark back because God plagues them. And uh, there's a whole story there about people looking into the Ark and God kills them. So the ark basically is back in the nation of Israel, but it's not in its proper place. And now David is king, and he gets this idea, and it's a good idea to bring the ark back to its proper place. That's what we're reading about in verse 2 when it says, And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Notice verse 3. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart. So they have to uh, uh, carry this ark to its proper location and they decide to take the ark and they put it upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah and Uzzah the... Uh, and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. So you've got this cart. Remember the ark? It's like a box. that has been overlaid with gold. It's got certain uh, relics or religious type things in it. It represents the presence of God. They put this ark upon a new cart, and they're going down the road with this with this ark in this new cart. They're bringing it uh, to the place where it belongs, verse 4. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and And Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instrument made of fir wood, even on harps and on salt trees and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Azza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. So you need to understand the story. The ark's on a cart. They're going down the road. The oxen shake the cart and, and Azza, just out of instinct, he, he thinks the ark, which remember this ark is a big deal for the nation of Israel. It represents the presence of God upon the nation. And this ark looks like it's going to fall to the ground. And Azza puts his hand to kind of stabilize it to keep the ark from falling, notice verse 6, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Azza put forth his hand to the ark of God, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it, notice verse 7, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Azzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Now, if you're not familiar with the, the laws and the commandments that God had given for the ark, this story might strike you as odd. You might think, man, God is kind of on a power trip right here. You know, he's kind of, I mean, good night. All the guy was doing was he's was trying to stabilize the ark to keep the ark from falling. And you say, what is it that is happening here? What is it? What's the big deal? What is it that's going on? Now, keep your place there in 2 Samuel 6. That's our text for tonight. But go back to Exodus 25. The second book in the Bible should be fairly easy to find. You've got Genesis, and then you've got Exodus. Exodus 25, and look at verse number 10. To understand what's happening in the story, you have to understand the instructions that God has already given in regards to the ark. Exodus 25, look at verse number 10. Exodus 25 and verse 10 the Bible says this, and they shall make an ark of shittim wood. So this is when God is giving the instructions for the ark to be made. This is the ark that David is transporting. They shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So it's like a rectangle. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without. Shalt thou overlay it and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it. I want you to notice verse 12. So he's telling us how to create, how, he's giving him instructions. He says, he gives him the, 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 the measurements and it's basically like a rectangular box. And then he says, I want you to make four rings of gold for it and put them on the four corners. So on the four corners of this, of this golden box, you've got these four rings Notice verse 12, and thou shalt, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 13, and thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. So he's telling me, I want you to make some poles and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark. Notice that the ark may be born with them, so God not only gave him instructions for the ark, but He gave them instructions as to how to move the ark. The ark was to be moved when you put those staves of gold into those rings, and it was to be borne, it was to be carried. Notice verse fifteen: the staves shall be in the rings of the ark; they shall not be taken from it. So I want you to notice that God gave him instructions as to how to build the ark and how to transport the ark. Now you're there in Exodus, go to Numbers chapter 4. Let me give you some more uh, details about this ark. Numbers chapter 4. So you're there in Exodus, you'll go Leviticus and then the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 4. And look at verse number 15. Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15, the Bible says this, and when Aaron and his sons, have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward. After that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. Notice what it says, but they shall not touch any holy thing. Don't miss these three words, lest they die. Do you see that? God not only told them how they were to construct this ark, and he told them how it was to be transported, but then in Numbers 4, God told them, hey, I want certain people, I want the sons of Kohath, he's talking about the Levites, to bear it, and he says, but when they bear it, all they're allowed to touch is the staves or the poles on which they're going to bear this ark. He says, they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die these Things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. So when you get this context, you kind of understand, because God already warned them, if anybody touches the ark, I'm going to kill them. If anybody puts their hand on the ark, they're going to die. I only want these certain people to carry the ark in this certain way. This is how I want it to be done. And Azza found himself in a situation with David where they put the ark on a cart in the way that God did not command for them to transport it. And then he touches the ark. You say, well, his heart was in the right place. He was trying to keep the ark from falling. He was trying, the, the oxen were shaking the ark. You're talking about the, uh, the, the, uh, the cart that you put the ark in that God told you not to do? You know, the, the oxen were shaking the cart and the ark was going to fall and he puts his hand to stabilize it and God strikes him dead. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and we're just going to walk through this story. I'm going to give you seven statements tonight, just kind of seven lessons we can learn from this story. Maybe you can write these down on the back of your course of the week. Of course, you've got a place there to write down some notes. And let me just show you a couple of things that we can learn from this story. Number one, if you're there in 2 Samuel 6, look at verse 1. The Bible says this, again, David gathered together. Notice, David was not alone in this. He gathered together all. Notice the wording there. All the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went, notice these words, with all the people. Do you see that? The Bible emphasizes for us that David chose out all the men of Israel and it tells us there was 30,000 men involved in this project and he went with all the people to go pick up this ark now keep your place there go to first chronicles chapter 13 you're there in second samuel so you're going to go past first second kings into the book of first chronicles and do me a favor when you get to first chronicles keep your place there put a ribbon or a bookmark because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it and in 1 Chronicles 13, you actually have the parallel to this story. This story is told twice. Just like in the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Sometimes they tell the same story. 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13 is the same story being told in two different books. Sometimes we can compare the story and get some additional insight. And I want you to notice the emphasis that we find in 1 Chronicles 13.1. The Bible says this, And David consulted. You know what it means to consult? It means he, he went and got advice and counsel. He consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds. And with, notice what it says, every leader... Hey, David did not just wake up one day and think, "Hey, I got an idea. Let's put the ark on a cart and let's drag it out back to where it should go." No, he went and he talked to people. He consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. Look at verse two. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, "If it seem good unto you, unto who?" unto the 30,000 people he's involved in this project. He says, if it seem good unto you and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in the land of Israel and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us and let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so for the thing, don't miss this, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. I want you to notice that David got advice, he got counsel. He talked to a lot of people. He talked to all the leaders. He talked to all the captains. He told them his plan. He told them his idea. And everybody said, yes, it's a good idea. Let's do it. So what's the first lesson we can learn from the story? Number one, it's this. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you. You better make sure God agrees with you. Because God had already given instructions as to how the ark was to be transported, who was allowed to touch it, where they were allowed to touch it, and what would happen if somebody touched it in a way that was inappropriate. And here David comes, and he talks to the captains, he talks to the leaders, he talks to the people. Everybody says, yes, it's a good idea. Yes, I think we should do it. Yes, let's go ahead. But you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many people think you've got a good idea. doesn't matter how many people agree. better make sure God agrees. Better make sure God has not given, because look, it doesn't matter if the whole world agrees with you. If it goes against the instructions given by God, you're wrong. Right. Exodus 23, go there real quickly. Exodus 23, you were just in Exodus a second ago, if you can go, go back there. Exodus 23, look, we have, to, we have to get away from this idea that if most people think it's the right thing, then it must be the right thing. In fact, when I was growing up, my parents would teach me that if most people think something's a good idea, that's probably the wrong thing to do. You know, most people are going to have the wrong. The Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Are you there in Exodus 23? Look at verse 2. Notice what the Bible says in Exodus 23 two. It says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak on a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. But I want you to notice that first part. He says, don't follow a multitude to do evil. See, David got this idea that most people thought it was okay, so therefore it must be okay. But we learn this, that it doesn't matter how many people agree with you, you better make sure God agrees with you. You, you can cons- consult, and look, there's nothing right, the Bible talks about in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, and it's good to talk to people, and it's good to ask questions, and it's good to get opinions, and it's good to get a consensus, but at the end of the day, you better go to the Bible, you better get on your knees and pray, you better seek God's will, because it doesn't matter how many people agree with you, you better make sure God agrees with you. And David made a mistake. Because David went and asked everyone's opinion, got everybody to sign off on it, got everybody to agree on it, except for one person, God. Except he forgot to look at what the Bible says. He forgot to see what God had instructed him to do. Keep your place in 1 Chronicles 13. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let me give you the second lesson we can learn from the story. Number one is this. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God agrees with you. Number two... Here's the second lesson. We shouldn't be looking for new methods from the world. We shouldn't be looking for new methods to do God's work from the world. Notice 2 Samuel 6 and verse 2. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Verse 3, notice what it says. And they sent the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Azah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drave, notice, the new cart. Now, they, they get this idea, they say, hey, I got an idea, let's build us a new cart. Let's not get an old cart, this is for God. Let's build a new cart, and let's put the Ark of God on there. Now, you've got to ask yourself, where do you think David got that idea? And what's interesting is that we've already seen the ark on a cart before. Go, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 6. Remember, I told you the story. I told you the story that uh, the children of Israel lost the ark of God at a battle. The Philistines took it and they placed the ark of God before the god Dagon. Dagon, his statue, falls before the ark. Uh, they pick him back up. He falls again and this time his hands are cut off. His head is cut off. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a God that I have to help. You know what I mean? I don't want I I to have to help my God. You know, you want to worship your little Buddha. Well, when Buddha falls over and you've got to pick him back up, that's a problem, all right? And, and, and that's what happened. And then, uh, you know, God judges them, and God sends uh, mice and God sends other things we're not going to talk about. And, and, and he judges the Philistines and, and the Philistines decide, we've got to get rid of this thing. And notice how they did it. First Samuel 6, look at verse 1. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests And the diviner saying, remember, these are are bad people. This is the world. Saying, what shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. So they're saying, how are we going to get rid of this thing? How are we going to send this back? We don't want this thing anymore. God has been judging us because of it. Notice verse 7. 1 Samuel 6, 7. Now therefore, notice what the Philistines did. Make a new cart. And take two milch kine, on which there hath come no yoke. And tie the kine to the cart. And bring their calves from them. Notice the Philistines, who did not worship God, who did not know God, when they got rid of the ark, when they sent the ark back, they got the bright idea to make a new cart and put the ark in the new cart and to send it off. And then David, when he decides, I want to transport the ark also, he says, let's make a new cart. I wonder where he got that idea from. He got it from the Philistines. And, you know, as Christians, we need to realize that we should not be looking for new methods or new ideas to worship God the way that the world worships God or the way that the world says. And this is again, and and I don't want to dwell on this too much because we talked about this a lot last week with the strange fire, but it's the same concept. We don't need a new cart. God has already told us how to approach Him, how to worship Him, what He wants from us, what He desires from us. We need to just get in the Bible and try to apply that to our life. And the world will say, oh no, here's a new card of the modern Bible versions. Here's a new card of contemporary Christian music. Here's a new card uh, 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 of of a new lifestyle evangelism. But we need to just reject that and say, you know what, we don't need a new card. We don't need to go to the world for their ideas. David said, How do I do this? He looks over at the Philistines and says, Well, they brought a new cart. Maybe we can bring a new cart. And that's no different than churches today saying, Well, the the rock concert is sold out. Maybe I can make my church feel like a rock concert and it'll get sold out too. We don't need a new cart. We shouldn't be looking for new methods from the world. We shouldn't be looking for ideas from the world. The Philistines came up with the idea of a new cart, and David took that idea from the Philistines. Go back to 2 Samuel 6. Look at verse 4. Second Samuel 6. Let me give you the third, the third lesson. The first lesson is this. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God agrees with you. The second lesson is this. We shouldn't be looking for new methods from the world to worship God. The third lesson is this. Don't decide how pleased God is by how emotional you are. Notice verse 4. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel, notice, they played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on, uh, on cornets and on cymbals. They're having themselves a worship service. I mean, they are worshiping God. They are into it. They are playing before the Lord. They're emotional. This was an emotional thing. We're bringing the ark back. The ark has been gone all the years of Saul. This is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. But you know what? God wasn't in it. God wasn't pleased by it. God wasn't amused by it. And today, there are many churches today that you know what? They seem real emotional. They seem real happy. They've got their little worship band going and they seem like they're really uh, praising and pleasing God and God isn't within 100 miles of that place. God's not satisfied. You say, what satisfies God? When you follow His commandments. When you study His law and you uphold it, when you follow the commands of God, and today people think, well, God must be in it because I'm emotional. Hey, don't decide and don't think that God must approve because you're emotional about something. Now, I'm not against emotion. I like emotion. I think I think my preaching is full of emotion. I love the way we sing around here and we sing songs and we sing them with power and we sing them with passion and we sing them with emotion. But you know what? Let's make sure we've got emotion and we're also pleasing God. Because you can be uh, full of emotion and don't decide that, that God must be pleased if we're all emotional. Um, nothing wrong with emotion, but make sure that God actually is pleased. Make sure that you've actually studied the Bible. See, the Bible says, you don't have to turn there, it says in John 4, 24, God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Say, oh, I love the Spirit. I love the Spirit too, but make sure you got the truth. Make sure you actually know what the Bible says. Don't decide how pleased God is. Well, God must be pleased. Were you there? I mean, what, I was an emotional... Don't decide how pleased God is by how emotional you are because God might uh, rain on your little party, David. Say, ah, but the music was great. The emotion was great. Everybody was happy. Yeah, well, not God. God wasn't pleased. Let me give you the fourth lesson. Here's the fourth lesson. Just because you are doing right does not give you the right... To go about it the wrong way. Notice verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Azza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. I really feel bad for this guy. I mean, if, if you talk about somebody dying whose heart was in the right place, this guy had his heart in the right place. The oxen were shaking the ark. The ark represents the presence of God. It's going to fall on the ground. What should we do? Let me help it. No, you know what? The Bible says that the angel Lord was kindled against Azaz. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. You say, was Azza doing something wrong? There's nothing wrong with trying to help the ark. There's nothing wrong with trying to make sure the ark does not fall to the ground. There's nothing wrong with trying to make sure that the ark is not disrespected, that the ark is reverence and respect. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong when you decide that I'm going to do something right in the wrong way because God already said, don't touch the ark. Say, well, I don't understand. What should he have done? Let it fall. you understand what I just said? Oh, the ark of God, let it fall to the ground. Yeah, you should have just let it fall because God told you not to touch it. And you know, if you want to put it on a stupid cart... But you got the idea from the Philistines to begin with. You would have never found yourself in that situation. Look, just because, just because, because this is the idea we get. We get, well, I'm right. I'm not doing wrong. I'm right about this situation. So therefore, that must justify me going about it a wrong way. No, that's wrong. God not only wants you to be right, God wants you to do right. And you say, well, what should I do? Should I just let the ark fall, let it fall? I'm going to follow the commandments that God has given me. What should I do? Should I just, you know, my heart's in the right way. It doesn't matter where your heart is. Are you following the commandments of God? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Just because what you are doing is right does not give you the right to go about it the wrong way. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let me give you another example of this. And this is a concept that we need to understand as Christians because we think, oh, well, I'm doing the right thing. And then oftentimes people who are doing the right thing go about it the wrong way and then it just becomes the wrong thing and then God doesn't bless it, then somebody ends up dead, and you're like, I don't understand. I was trying to help the ark. But you know what? You need to just do what God has told you to do. You need to just follow the instructions that God has given you to follow. Here's another example. Same, same idea. First Samuel 24, look at verse 1. And it came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats and he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave and Saul went in to cover his feet and David and his men remained to the sides of the cave here's the story Saul who's a wicked leader who's backslidden who's not right with God is literally trying to kill David out of envy and David is hiding in a cave Saul goes into the cave he used the restroom, and David and his men are in the cave. What do you do? Look at verse 4. And then the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of the Lord, which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe. You know, it's interesting how there's always people trying to tell you, oh, this must be God's will. It must be God's will for you to go and divorce her. It must be God's will. You know, he, he did you wrong. You, you, eh, God's okay with you. No, no, no you, you better figure out what the Bible says. Amen. God hates divorce. Well, I'm right. But now you're, now you're wrong. Well, he did this or she did that. And I don't deserve that. Yeah, you were right. So you decided you wanted to get a divorce. Now you're wrong too. Because just because you're right does not give you the right to do wrong. Just because your right does not give you the right to go against the commandments of God. And here you have these people say, Saul is wrong. David is right. But David needs to make a decision. Well, I use that to justify me doing wrong. Look at verse 5. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointing to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And please understand this. God does not only want us to be right. God wants us to do right. And there is a way to do the right thing in the wrong way. And God is not pleased. You better make sure what you're doing is right. And you better make sure you're doing it the right way. You better make sure that you're not sinning in your zeal to do right. Because you might find yourself dead on the side of a road because your heart was in the right place. And what should I do? You Let that ark fall. That's what you should do. So what can we learn from the story? Go, go back to 2 Samuel 6. We can learn that it doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Well, oh, You don't understand. Everybody said that uh, I should have done this, that I was right in this situation. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you. You make sure that God agrees with you. What can we learn from the story that we shouldn't be looking for new methods to worship God from the world? What can we learn from the story that you better not decide how pleased God is by how emotional you are? What can we learn from the story? We learn that just because you are doing right does not give you the right to go about it the wrong way. Number five, what can we learn from the story? We learn that the problem with most people is that they lack a fear of God. You know what David's problem was? At this time in his life, he did not have enough Fear of God. you know that all throughout the Bible we're commanded to fear God? To fear the Lord. Sometimes people try to minimize that. Say, well, oh, that just means you're supposed to respect God. No, that means you're supposed to be afraid to cross God. Amen. 2 Samuel 6, 8, the Bible says this, and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Azza. and he called the name of the place Perez Azza to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. See, David wasn't afraid before, but he's afraid now. And said house of the ark of the Lord, come to me. See, David was just, he said, ah, new car, yeah, let's do it this way, yeah, let's do that, way. let's do all these things. Not concerned about God, not concerned about what God thinks, not concerned about what God wanted, but as soon as, as, soon as this God's judgment comes down, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, maybe we got to figure out what God wants. You know that you'll save yourself a lot of problems if you just get a nice, healthy fear of God in your life? You say, what do you mean? Like, I should reverence God? No, like, you, should, you ought to be afraid to cross God. Amen. You ought to be scared to death. So, well, I'm right about this, and they did wrong. And I, you know what? I'm, I'm afraid that God's going to kill me. I'm just going to let God deal with it. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that God's judgment is going to come upon my life. Look, what most people need. Hey, teenagers, you know what you need? You need a healthy fear of God. You say, I'm tempted to sin, I'm tempted to fornicate. Hey, you ought to be afraid that God is going to uh, give you some sort of STD, that God is going to have, let you have a child when you're a child. You ought to just be afraid that God's judgment, that there are consequences for sin. Look, everyone would be better if we were just all afraid of God. Amen. If we were just all literally saying, man, I don't know, what should we do in this situation? You know what, let me read the Bible and make sure that we're doing it the right way, because God just might kill one of us. Because God might just kill you. The problem with most people, you know what it is? They don't fear God. They're not afraid of God. You know what God has to do sometimes? He has to bring down the smack down to make you afraid. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. Yeah, I would be too. Notice how his attitude changes. Notice what he does differently. Look at verse 10. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside unto the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the Ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so... Notice the change. Verse 13. And it was so... That when they that bear the ark. What happened to your cart, David? Where's the cart now? Well, God killed Azza. So we decided we better go back into the Old Testament and figure out how to carry this thing. When they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six spaces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Get this idea. Now he's got the Levites carrying the ark on their shoulders. They take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Let's sacrifice. Let's make sure God's happy with this. Let's kill an animal so God doesn't kill us. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Let's sacrifice. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Let's sacrifice. You know what the fear of God will do for you? It'll make you slow down a little bit, and it'll make you make sure that you're pleasing God with your actions. You'll stop making decisions. You'll start uh, uh, just doing whatever and going wherever, and you'll, and you'll figure out, hey, what does God want? What will please God? See, when we find out, here's lesson number six for you. Go to First Chronicles 15. 1 Chronicles 15. Here's lesson number six. When we find out that what we're doing does not line up with God's word, we need to change. As soon as David figured out, hmm, you know, he's looking at Azza there. The arson of tip over. Azza stabilizes it. He drops dead. And, Uzzah, and David's sit there looking at this dead corpse. doing like this body and he's thinking to himself, hmm, maybe God isn't in this. The music was good, but maybe God's not happy. What should we do what, maybe, maybe, maybe God doesn't like what we're doing. Look, look at First Chronicles 15, verse 2. Then David said, this is again the same story, just a different place. Then David said, because David went back and read his Bible. Look at, he's an expert now. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. David, you should have figured that out before a man died. None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. See, David figured it out, and, and thank God for David, when he found out that what he was doing was not lining up with God's word, he changed. And you know what in my life and in your life, when we figure out that what we're doing, what we're doing is not lining up with God's word, we need to just change. This new cart is not pleasing to God. Get rid of the card. Get the staves, get the Levites, let's do this the right way. Here's lesson number seven. God is interested in you being right and doing things right. Notice verse 12, 1 Chronicles 15 verse 12. And said unto them, because David finally figured this out. God has already told us not to touch the ark. He's already told us how to carry the ark. First Chronicles 15 verse number 12. And said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. Notice verse 13. For for because, that's what he says, For because ye did it not at the first, because you didn't carry the ark at the first, the Lord our God hath made a breach upon us. Notice what he says, for that we sought him not after the due order. See, today people think, well, I'm seeking God. As long as I'm seeking God, he must be pleased. No, God wants you to seek him after the due order. You know that God has given instructions as to how we should approach him and worship? You know that God has given instructions as to how we ought to serve him? You know that God has given instructions as to how we ought to act, things we ought to do? And look, you better just make sure. You better make sure. You say, well, I'm seeking after God. Okay, but are you doing it after the due order? God had already told them, I want you to move the ark a certain way. Here are the people that should do it. Here's how they should do it. Don't let anybody touch that ark, or I'm going to kill them. And then somebody touches the ark, they drop dead, and everybody's surprised. Well, I don't know. know." Well, you should have read. You should have read. And you know, just because you don't know what the Bible says doesn't mean you will not be accountable for what the Bible says. God God's word is there for all of us to study and read. Well, I wasn't aware. Well, then you better be careful about the decisions you make. You better make sure you are prepared and you've studied and you understand what God wants from you. Hey, listen, before you go and get married, you better figure out what that means in the Bible before you start making decisions about thinking, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to go there and I'm going to start this, you better figure out what God requires from you because this is not an excuse I didn't know. Obviously, Azza didn't know. He found out real quick though. And just because you don't know what the Bible says does not mean that you will not be accountable for what the Bible says. God says that we ought to seek him. I love these words. He says, after the due order. You say, Pastor Jimenez, why, why, why are things done certain ways here? And you, you do them this way and you don't you know, do it any other way. And you know, We're just doing them after the due order. We're just doing them to the best of our ability, how God is is pleased, how God wants it done. We're doing it to try to follow and please the Lord because I don't want some of you to die. (laughs) Look at verse 14. So the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of Levites spared the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon. And as Moses commanded according to the word. Don't miss that. See, before they couldn't say this. Now they could say this. As Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. God is interested in you being right. But you know that He's also interested in you doing right? God is interested. Listen, kids. Well, if you knew my parents, they're hypocrites. And they're worldly, and they, and they act a certain way at church, and then they act a different way at home. You know what? That doesn't give... And I'm the, I'm the only one that's actually spiritual in the house. Okay, great. But you know that doesn't give you the right to disobey your parents?
1: Well, they're, they're this and that.
0: I don't, care. I don't care what they are. God told you to obey your parents. Well, I'm right and they're wrong. Well, you know, you know what? That doesn't give you the right to do wrong. You know, wife, you said, oh, well, my husband's a loser. Well, you married a loser. Nobody forced you to marry him. The Bible tells you to submit to your husband. Well, he's doing this. If you knew what he was up to, if you knew what he was into, if you knew what he was doing, I'm the one that's right, but you're wrong when you're not submitting to your husband. You say, I don't, well, you, if you only knew, I don't need to know. Here's what I need to know. God expects you to do right and be right and do it the right way. And you you say, well, what should I do? He's in sin. I don't care. You do right. And you do it the right way. You're my parents, my, my employer. My, look, it doesn't matter. Here's what matters. Do right. And do it the right way. And figure out what God says. Unless people will be hurt in the process. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. You say, Pastor, are you against emotion? I'm not against emotion. Emotion's great. But look, we need to make sure that we are right. That we're pleasing God. See, Second Samuel six fourteen, the emotions back, but now they can enjoy it because they don't think anybody. They realize no one's going to die. Second Samuel six, look at verse fourteen, and David danced before the Lord. Look at the freedom he has now, with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. See, there's nothing wrong with shouting. Just make sure you're right. Nothing wrong with emotion. Just make sure you're right. God gives us these stories in the Bible where he strikes people dead. You know why? Because he's trying to make a point. There are certain things that really bother God. And God is going to look at a lot of people and say, yeah, I know your heart was in the right place, but you weren't doing it right. You have to follow me after the due order. So before you go off making all your decisions, You better realize that it doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Well, I got everybody to agree with me. Okay, did you get God to agree with you? I got everybody to sign off on it. Did you get God to sign off on it? I got everybody to say, yeah, it's a good idea. Okay, but did did you go to the Bible and you allowed God to tell you, yes, you're right? We shouldn't be looking for new methods. Oh, I saw the Philistines have a new car. You don't need a new car. You need to do it the way God said it. Well, I read this book and they said that in marriage, maybe 50-50 would be better. No, you don't need, you need this book says that wives are to submit, that husbands are to lead, that husbands should be selfless and sacrificial. You just follow what this Bible says and you'll be all right. Yeah. Well, I got this new car, you know, and I'm not spanking anymore. I'm just going to put my kids on a timeout. You're crazy. Your new car is going to drag your kid to hell. Don't decide how pleased God is by how emotional you are. It doesn't matter. I feel so good. I know. At the liberal church down the street, the NIV rock and roll church, you always feel good. But God's not pleased. Just because you're doing right does not give you the right to do wrong. The problem with most people, they don't fear God. Get a healthy dose of the fear of God and your steps will be ordered and your steps will be wise. You'll walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. When you find out that what you're doing doesn't line up to what God's word says, change. When you find out you've been putting your uh, your ark on a cart that God has not ordained, change. When Azza falls over dead, don't keep moving, just stop and change. And realize that God is interested. Look, God is interested. God is interested in you being right. But he's also interested in you going about it the right way. There's so many times in my ministry that I've had situations where I had to make a judgment call, and somebody I could clearly see, they're right. And then they make certain decisions that is like, well, you were right. Now you're right in the wrong way. And now you're wrong. Because God matters not only that you are right, but that you do right and that you stay right. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these stories, Lord. You've given us these stories for a reason. You want us to learn from them. And Lord, as, as, as mere men, we, we have these ideas that we can take shortcuts and we can allow our emotions to control us and everything will be fine. And that's not the God we serve. You've given us clear instructions. You want us to do right, to be right, to serve you and do order. And Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us to just get a healthy fear of God. And to just realize that you've given us instructions, Lord. We need to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. We need to figure out that we are right and that we are doing right. Because all of it matters. You've already told us what to do. Help us to do it, Lord. Help us to draw close to you. Help us to be people who are walking circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.